thank you all for coming to my platform. How kind. <laughs> thank you, Murray, very much indeed. Um, it's a huge pleasure to welcome Murray to this National Theatre platform. Uh, Murray, as I'm sure all of you will know, has had a very long and brilliant career. He joined Theatre Workshop at Stratford East in the late 1950s, making the tea, I believe, sweeping the stage, playing modest roles. He went on to play Geoffrey in Taste of Honey, the title role in Brendan Behan's The Hostage, and to be part of the extraordinary original cast of Oh, What a Lovely War. And Murray retains very strong links today with the Theatre Royal, acting as its archivist. On top of that, he's had a very distinguished film career, which included winning Best Actor at Cannes in 1962 for the film version of A Taste of Honey. Uh, he worked many times with Ken Russell. He worked with Stanley Kubrick. And on television, uh, Murray was in the very first episode of The Avengers, I believe, in 1960. And got killed at the end of it. <laughs> There's no justice for an actor. <laughs> and most recently, I think Torchwood you were in. So it, it's a very <coughs> comprehensive career. But today, what we'd like to do is talk for a little while about uh, Murray's years with Theatre Workshop, and we'll talk for 30 minutes and then open it up to questions. Um, so, Murray, can I whisk us back, or whisk you back, really, to uh, 1958 and A Taste of Honey? And I was looking up today <coughs> Joan Littlewood's book, Joan's book, where she says the original script by Sheila Delaney was a mess, and that neither of the first two actors she approached, Avis Bunnage and John Bay, wanted to be in it. So my first question to you is, how much work did you as actors have to do on that script to make it stageable, basically? Well, to go back to that first statement, it was going to be, uh, Theatre Workshop was penniless. And Michael, as you well know, uh, derisory, the amount of money from the Arts Council or the local councils. And they were broke. And it really was going to be the last play because I've, I've got a recorded interview with Avis Bunnage, who created Helen, um, in which she says that she'd left the company, gone back to Manchester, and she got a call from Joan um, saying, now, Avis, um, I've just received this play, young girl from Manchester. It's about Manchester. It's a small cast. And we've decided that we want to put this on and then that will be the end of the Theatre Royal and it'll be the end of Theatre Workshop. So I want you to come back and play this part. And they said, no, no, Joan, I don't want to do it. No, no, I've gone. I've left. When Joan was in that sort of mood, you couldn't refuse. Um, and so she came back to do this last play. It was a five-hander, as you know. Um, normally, Joan liked large cast plays. She liked moving lots of people around and she could do it. Um, but it was just five cars, and in those days, uh, they were on, the proper players were on four pound a week, and I was an acting student, AS whatever, and I was on two. <laughs> so, you know, it didn't cost very much. <laughs> but it was going to be the last play. It was going to be the last play. And had it not been a success, there to work that, that would No, it would, no. You would have had no hostage, no, oh, what a lovely war, no, 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 no. It <clears throat> and so, coming back to my point about the script, yeah. I mean, how much were the actors helping to, I don't know what the word is, improve or change well, the script? Well, I mean, Sheila was 19. Yeah. I mean, she'd done a lot of writing, um, but this was her first play, and like any 19-year-old, she put it all down, it was all there. Um, and so, Joan's way of working, whether you were doing a contemporary play or, or 
Ibsen would you call contemporary? You probably would in 1958. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, Willie or O Rare Ben, I mean, the process was exactly the same. You broke the script down into, into units, it's basic Stanislavski, broke it down into units, worked on it, improvised it. Uh, always, what was, the, what was the author's intention for that moment? Can you think of any specific examples of moments or lines in Taste of Honey that came out of rehearsal or improvisation? Were there any particular moments you remember? Oh, well, there, uh, there was... Um, one line that, that um, I know everybody gets confused about, it's Peter um, on one of his visits. He goes off to the loo and he comes back with a line to get him back on stage. And there's a line about um, the cockroaches, they're playing leapfrog. Um, and uh, Johnny Bay thought that was a bit, he didn't like that very much. Um, and they were debating uh, this line and of course, I was busy um, looking after Joan with her gourouise and making the tea and doing the props. And I had a pair of rope-soled shoes and I stood on a clout. Now, theatricals know what a clout is. For those <laughs> that, um, clouts were what you put canvas onto frames. Um, it had a long shank and a very large round bit, so it didn't go in into the canvas, it stayed on top. And, and, on and I stood on it, right. and that shank went into my foot, and I yelped and hobbled to the side of the stage and showed everybody what had happened, and half of them ran off because they couldn't bear to look at it, and I said, pull it out. Joan, just pull it out. And she looked at me and said, are you sure? I said, yes, please, just get it out. And so she did, God bless, one, two, three, and it was out. And as it came out, I used... Um, my generation, I knew it well. It was a barra boy's saying, which is, shan't be round tomorrow, the cat's been all over the strawberries. <laughs> and so as, the, as it came out, and, and the blood came out, I, I said, oh, shan't be round tomorrow, the cat's been all over the strawberries. And we took my sock off and did the blood and put the sock back on and we were ready to work. And as we got back up from the stairs, Joan turned to John Bay and said, listen, that was a good line of Murray's, you could use that. <laughs> and it's still there. And he did. He loved it. It's in the printed text. It's in the printed text. Any other examples? I mean, Avis Bunnage, did she...? Oh, yeah, oh, Avis, yes. Um, there's a lovely line. Because, you know, we did this in five weeks, um, and everything was behind, and John Berry, our then designer, the workshop's designer, who later came here, um, and then to Glyndebourne. Uh, he was making the set. I mean, I helped him in the first act, but I hadn't got much time off in the second. Um, and he and Jerry Raffles, who, who Jerry was Joan's partner and also the manager of, of Stratford East, um, they just started putting up the set. And, and Joan was ready to start this sort of basic run through. And so it was agreed that Joan would start and they would carry on backstage um, getting the set up. And the first thing to go up was a little window. And so they put ropes on it. And Jerry was one side of the stage and John was the other. The two heavyweights pulling their weight, as you would say. Um, and, and so we started. And they were putting this, window, this little window up. And the window was swinging <laughs> because of the length of the rope. And 
it was about halfway up when Avis came on with the opening line, this is the place, and the girl says, I don't like it. And Avis looked, and she looked at this thing swinging in the air, <laughs> and she turned front to nobody in particular and said, damn silly place to put a window. <laughs> and Joan from the circle said, keep that in, Avis. <laughs> And Avis said, oh, no, Joan, it was only this, just I said, keep it in. <laughs> and she did, and it is. That's a wonderful example of how plays get on, particularly at Theatre Workshop. Um, you've anticipated the question I was going to ask, though, but I'd like to take you off a bit more on this, about Joan's method of working. I mean, everyone reveres this great director. Not many of people have had the experience you've had of working with her constantly. You said she broke the script down into units to find out the intention a la Stanislavski. Yes. I mean, just in a, in a normal day's rehearsal, I'm just trying to get the picture. Um, was Joan an intervening director, or did she let the actors run on with a scene and use their improvisatory skills? I mean, how, I'm trying to get pinned down how, how detailed a director she was, or how much she let you carry on with a scene and you know, build up your own momentum. Well, she always said directors were not necessary. <laughs> Don't believe it. Um, Michael, I, I think I've said to you before about, about her productions, um, were also almost Mozartian in their layers of speech. Joan loved four dialogues going on all at once, but you never ever missed a word because the hours that were spent on the gradations of sound, um, she spent days on it sometimes. You see, this is absolutely... Fascinating, because I saw some of her work in later years, and what always came across to an audience, I think, was the sense of spontaneity, oh, yes. of actors, you know, engaging with the audience, uh, varying performances, possibly night but I may have told you this before, the first Joan show I saw was Make Me an Offer in the West End, and Roy Kinnear at one point turned to the audience and said, I don't know, he said, six years in rep, and here I'm humping furniture around for Joan Littlewood. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard an actor oh, refer to the director you know, him, in the middle God of a show. Yes. And I thought, my God, this is amazing. But the more I saw of her work, the more I saw it was exquisitely choreographed. That was the word I was used. Is that yes. fair? You're absolutely fair. Um, choreographed um, physically and vocally. Because don't forget that... Uh, we said this before. Uh, one of the main things of Joan was Laban movement. Explain that a bit to the audience. Um, Laban. Um, oh, Michael. Sorry. Well, <laughs> well not everyone. Well, it's totally opposed to classical dance, of which I was trained. So did I suffer. Um, but but the wonderful thing was I could use my body. Well, um, Matthew Bourne was was was, was a Larbon boy. Um, it, it's based not on posing mm -hmm. like dance classique, but but on efforts, efforts of the body. Right. Um, Sky, middle, down. Um, and everything that you do with your body in Laban, you can do with the voice. And so when I first, I, I joined as a, a dog's body in, in September of 57, and in March I played A Taste of Honey. Now, there were times I didn't, in retrospect, I sort of realised I sometimes didn't know what I was doing, but I was dancing it because my vocal output was dance. Right. Um, 
And so it's, it's very important. So once you've got that, when you, said you refer to choreography, yes. yes, indeed, but of the voice as well as the body. But was a lot of rehearsal time spent on that? You talk about the oh, choreography enormous, of the voice. Enormous. Well, you, you did the words last. You did the words last? Yes. What and if they didn't fit, did they would change. What did you do? <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do first? Well, you danced it. Literally? Yes. So she got the physical movement of a play yes. before she got the... Yes, so that, but so that, I mean, yes, we, so that you were aware of your physicality to the other characters. Right, right. I'm getting you know, queens are always given ten paces, aren't they? You don't, you don't get near the... You, you give the queen five, five yards, so that's what makes her a queen, because mm -hmm. you step away. So it's a basic, basic... Rehearsal. So, I mean, I'm just getting the picture, though. So Joan would work on the physical shape of the play and the movement of the play, you're saying, before you got really into the yes. details of the text. Oh, yes. So, I mean... What, what well, so the first thing she would say was, throw those bloody scripts away. Really? Oh, yes, of course. Well, you say, of course. I mean, it's an unusual well, way well, to well, work, well, well, <laughs> Any workshop member would know, yeah. would know that. I'm because you, you, you knew what you were working on. You knew that it, it could be three lines, it could be six lines, it could be a whole... But you knew what it was. So you concentrated on the physicality and the efforts of the character right. before you got to their work. Right. So that, did that mean then... I mean, she would basically run through the play very early on to get the sort of physical shape of it. No, scene by scene. Scene by scene, right. Scene by scene. Right. She would build it up. Yeah. And then later on, in week two, whatever, you're starting then to get into the actual Unless you were doing a classical piece, but then you would sit down with Ben Johnson right. and go through it. Uh, yeah, right, right. And cut it. Um, <laughs> well, playing time for, for every man in his humour. If you played as writ, you're talking about three hours, 25. I mean, we got it down to 2.25 at the one interval. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yes, but... Okay, that, no, I'm, yeah. I'm glad and to so you would, you, 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 you would go through the, the script first, the words first of, of a classical piece, whether it was Ben or Will or whatever, um, or Vambra, um, and, and then having basically got it, then you would move it, as she would say. Right. There came a moment where she said, right, that's enough, let's move it. Right. And then you would move it. And then you would go back to the word once you'd got your, the truth of your physicality and, and, and where you were. Right. Going back to Taste of Honey specifically, I mean, they were very young actors. You know, ASMing as well as playing Geoffrey. That's what I find extraordinary. Was Geoffrey a very... Oh, and, and letting the curtain down on the first act. That was your job? Yes. I couldn't pull it up because it was too... I, you know, I'm a matchstick. Um, but Jerry used to take the thing and I used to drop it at the... Uh, and, and, and then put the record on, 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 on the phonograph for, for the interval music. So you had a pretty full evening, what with playing Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> Hadn't got much time to get nervous, that's for sure. Was Jeff... But you were never nervous for Joan. You were never nervous for Joan because you... No, you never, never... You, because you knew why you were walking on that stage. Right. Was Geoffrey, <coughs> at the time, <coughs> 1958, a very unusual character, would you say? Um, well, as writ? As writ. Um, yes. What I'm getting at is, at that stage, we're talking 58, aren't we? Yes, and it, you remember, you've got the Lord Chamberlain. Uh, that was my point, yes. We've got official censorship. Yes. It is very rare, I would have thought, in the late 50s, to see a homosexual character on stage. 
Well, you, well you, you, he wouldn't have allowed it. No. That's why the fine line had to be drawn, um, because he wouldn't have allowed a, uh, a homosexual... We didn't have the word gay no, then. No, quite um, that's why I didn't use it. No, no. yes, no, quite right. A homosexual character to, to be there. No. So, therefore, this was something of a breakthrough, to have this character portrayed very sympathetically uh, by the writer on stage. But it, well, his sexuality wasn't what was important. What was? What he was. Which was a, what caring, he did. Yes. a caring and loving man yes. looking after this yes. woman. Yeah. Basically an ASM. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew that because I was one. But that was easy. It always strikes me that Geoffrey is also the most perceptive character in the play. Because he says something I think is absolutely crucial to the play. He says uh, to Joe, the girl at one point, that she and the mother are really very similar. They're two sides almost yes. of the same coin. That's a blindingly good insight, isn't it? He sees the similarity. They're not two separate people. No. They're very similar people. He's a very intelligent man, is what I'm saying. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, but, but, you know, everybody's got a fault. All the characters have got a fault. They're, 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 that, that's what's so intriguing. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you think that, um, uh, you know, one of the, there were about two critics, not you, Mr. Billington, um, <laughs> but there were two critics at the time said, oh, you know, um, how could she possibly let that character break, come and talk to the audience? I mean, you know, breaking the fourth wall is theatrical, you know, tradition. I mean, how could she do it? You thought, well, at the time, well, how could she put the play on? That was uh, you know, against all traditions. Yes, yeah. But, of course, it was Joan doing what she used to call her continuous loop about getting a problem of the streets, mm -hmm. bringing it into the theatre, working on it, and then presenting it out again to the audience. And, I mean, f five, look at those, look at those characters. Y you've, you've got a, a, a sailor with a child in every port. Yes. You've got a single-parent family, yes. um, a teenage pregnancy, yes. that homosexual boy, um, a loutish lover. Yes. Um, I say today that, you know, if that script landed on an artistic director's desk today, he'd probably send it straight to social services. <laughs> but in 1958, she gathered all that together and, and, and created that out of, Sheila's, out of Sheila's script. Can I lead you on to the next major play which you did at Stratford East, which was, of course, The Hostage, Brendan Behan's extraordinary play, The Hostage, where you played the young British soldier who's being kept hostage in this uh, Irish stew, as someone called it. My favourite part forever. Was it really? It really was. I remember it with such joy. The laughter, we never stopped laughing. It was just one. And by that time, I was beginning to get the hang of Miss Littlewood's methods. What and do you mean so by that, exactly? You said you begin to get the hang. What do you mean? Well, it was very difficult to learn. Uh, as an actor works with any director for the first time, is getting used to their shorthand. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it was difficult. Um, I had to pick up... The company, the old company, w did Larbum for years, years under Gene Newlove. Um, and, and so it, it took a while to, to get into that and see how she used it. But then once I did, um, the hostage, I, I, I suddenly sort of found my feet. 
I remember The Hostage as even more radical in a way because that was a play where the relation between the audience and the performers, I mean, the wall was completely down, wasn't it? In other words, I would that, that Honey was Joan's answer to television. Now, right. I can't prove it, right. but I've always thought it, because if you think, 57, 58, yes. I mean, television was, was colour was coming in, um, cinema scope. I mean, nobody got off their sofas. Um, to, to death of variety, to death of the musical, almost death of theatre. Right. Because, I mean, you, as we know, people shouted at the television. They threw their teapots through the television. They kicked the television. <laughs> well, one thing television couldn't do was answer back. So therefore, and, and so Joan, yes. Joan went back to traditional English musical where somebody went out there. Yes. And if there was an answer back, which there very often was, Avis very got when she used to turn to go, oh, oh, well, you know. When you've got a cold, you don't feel like anything, do you? And, and you know, some nights people say, oh, no, you don't, do you? <laughs> and, and she said, oh, you know what I mean. And off she, you know, yeah. um, and, and it was this wonderful... And, of course, having... And it was deliberate because, of course, she had the John Wallbank trio out in a box yes. to break that fourth wall. And we weren't allowed to do it. Um, Francis Tuca, um, who created Joe and myself, we weren't allowed to do it because we hadn't got the experience. But Avis was the only one. But in the hostage, it seemed to be... It was there were, yes, after Honey, and, and she saw the result and the effect, yes. we all talked to the audience. Yes. The hostage was like some great party, wasn't it, I remember, yes. to which the audience was invited. That was the extraordinary yes. thing about it. We felt we were yes. participating in this extraordinary event. Mm, it was a very difficult piece to do, because it seemed like a party, but believe you me... It yes. was, uh, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Go on. There's something behind um, but that No, remark. but it, it was an extraordinary, it was an extraordinarily wonderful piece. And then we had Brendan Behan to cope with. Uh, uh, who, who would, who would, you, um, I remember Howard Gurney uh, playing Pat. Um, he got to the end of the song, one of his songs, and Brendan was in the audience, as he often was. And he often, as Howard finished singing. From the audience, Brendan got up and said, I've written you another verse. <laughs> and then would sing it. <laughs> and of course it was funnier than anything he'd given Howard to sing. And of course the audience just loved it. But of course we on stage were there with cold water on our face while Brendan did his turn. And I remember one night Howard, at the end of Brendan's turn and the audience just calming down, Howard said, now, can we, Brendan, can we get on with this dreary old play of yours? <laughs> I'm leading you very quickly through, I mean, extraordinary production. a potted version of one's life I'm here. sorry, yes, but we can't not talk about Oh, What a Lovely War, which, of course, has just been uh, revived to great effect at, at that theatre. <clears throat> One thing intrigues me, when you were putting on the original production in 1963, when you were working on it, and I know that the actors were extremely um, important in contributing to the actual script of that mm. show, was there a, did you have an instinct that you were doing something that was making history as well as portraying history? Did you feel at the time mm. this no, was going to be not. significant? No, no. <laughs> we, we realised once... Our homework, of course, no matter what you were doing for Joan, um, 
the amount of homework you had to do was enormous. Mm -hmm. The reading that you had to do, the discovery you had to do, it was enormous. And for that, um, um, we were always at it all the time. And so, uh, don't forget, the, the reason we were able to do it was that a few years before, the 50-year secrecy rule was up. Right. Yes? Yeah. And, and so one was able to get at the unofficial records rather than history as writ from the establishment down. Um, and I remember uh, every morning we would all meet and, and she would pick on a theme, First Battle of the Somme, Ypres, Gath, and you'd go away and do your homework and you'd come back and you'd all report mm -hmm. what you discovered and what you thought was the salient bit and then w w whatever was important, you would then improvise around it. Right. But I remember, for the company, we were brought up on history as writ um, from the top down. And so the discovery was also ours of the horror that we'd got no idea existed. Right, right. And there were some mornings when we were re there reporting at 10 o'clock, the whole company were in tears in tears at the, the horror of what went on in our name and never reported by anybody. Um, and so w we sort of rewrote history in a way. Was there the a historians will hate me for it, yes. but we did. Yes, yes. Well, that is the whole point. I mean, this was the First World War seen from a perspective we had not seen before, that of the common soldiers. We were always told it was, it was glorious and, and all the flags went up and the bugles blew. Um, what I find fascinating though is that, I mean, even today debates still go on about Old Water Lovely War because I was in, involved, I told you, in one the other day on the radio with a historian who was challenging the historical accuracy of some of it. So it's wonderful that it is, it's still um, a controversial a living issue. But I mean, we, I want to introduce the audience in a second, but just looking we, we, we've dealt very quickly with three major yes. productions at, at, <laughs> at Theatre Workshop. Um, and you said earlier, and it was fascinating, uh, that Taste of Honey was, could have been the last show. It, we know what happened, it became usually popular goes into the West End. The Hostage, usually popular, becomes a West End success. Oh, what a lovely war. Again, international success. Was, this, was the success of those and other productions like Things in What They Used To Be was that, in the end, the undoing of Theatre Workshop, do you think? Because the company began to... Well, she changed, up. but jo <laughs> Joan had that famous statement, I built my life on the rock of change. And so she did, daily. Mm -hmm. um, and so she did change, because up till then, you'd have to have seven years training on Larbon to work for her. Uh, but when the company was dispersed, that original workshop company, um, uh, was gone, mm -hmm. and so she had to bring new people in. Th th there wasn't time to train them for seven years on Larbon. Right. Um, it had to be instant. But and so it did change, and, but she changed with it, and she grew with it. So you don't think that dissolved the sort of theatre workshop spirit, the fact that these productions were going oh, no. around the world? Well, not the spirit, no. no. But, uh, but, but no, because always working with Joan was, 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 was a joy as well as being heartbreaking. If you can stop yourself crying, you stop yourself laughing. Um, um, no, it, it, the atmosphere, it's still there today. I always think even Stratford today, there is an atmosphere in that building that's still Joan and Jerry. That's interesting, yes. 
and you are very conscious of that because I know you work in the archive, you are the archive basically, and you feel her presence still. Oh yes, yes. I say good morning to them all when I go. <laughs> morning Avis, morning Joan, morning Jerry. Yes, of course I do. Yeah, they're, they're, it's still there. Because that atmosphere is still there in that theatre. That's very... It's still a joyous theatre to go into, Mike. It, it is a joy. No, I've been going there, you know, yeah. since I came to London, and it's one of my favourite yes. venues to go to. I London. remember in the early days, um, um, uh, Philip Headley, when he was in charge, getting me to talk to the young ushers. They usually come... with the, because it's like a university, Stratford. You know, we've got our drama groups, and we bring, if, if they want to write, we encourage that. If they want to do lighting, we encourage that. Um, we get front of house people, and he used to make me tell them the story that in my young day, when audiences were scarce before before the the, the success of Honey, the audiences were scarce, and so one was very grateful for anyone that came through the doors. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was an unwritten rule, but it was just done by the company that at the end of the performance, even if you were dashing off somewhere, you always went into the bar, and if there was somebody there, you always thanked them for coming. Right. And I still do, and, and I still do this with our ushers today. They always, you have to explain to that younger generation, they're called houses. Mm -hmm. And so you welcome somebody into your house. Mm -hmm. um, and that still carries on. That's a very good example of the way the, this, the ethos yes. continues today. I'd like to throw the um, questions open to the audience, if I may. We've only got about 10 minutes left. Could we have the house lights up? Thank you very much. Yes, and if you've got a hand... Yes, gentleman there. Um, you mentioned in passing the Theatre Royal itself as a building, and I think it would be nice if Murray Melvin mentioned how it kind of... Um, encompass the approach that Joan Littlewood had because it's such a beautiful little theatre in the round. Right. Um, gentleman mm. want, right. Gentleman wants to know about the Theatre Royal Stratford East itself and how much you said that encompassed or encouraged even the style of Joan Littlewood. That's a very good point. How much was her style? Well, at the end of her days, she loathed it. <laughs> I mean, it was too constricting. You know, she, yeah, no, no, she, 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 go on about the bloody proscenium arches, you know, get rid of them. She was into street theatre, she was into, I, I see these pop concerts these days at the O2, and all those flashing lights and those thousands of people. That's what, she, well, that was the, that was the germ of our idea for a fun palace. Right. That's where it came from, to get, to get, have moving spaces. She didn't want this one set thing. No, she wanted uh, moving spaces that you could change in an evening for, 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 a, for a concert, for a cinema, whatever. She, she'd gone past that. Unfortunately, her fun palace, which is now being revived by lots of young people who, who have suddenly... She was ahead of her time, but they're catching up with her. Um, uh, she, that was her goal. Her life had been about that fun palace. And it really did destroy her when they pulled the carpet from under her and, and, and cancelled it. It really did hurt very, very deeply because she realised they couldn't keep up with her imagination. It was a very sad moment for her. But going back to that question, which I think is a very interesting one, I mean, the kind of informal approach you talked about earlier, addressing the audience directly, 
surely it was easier in a theatre like Theatre Royal Stratford East, you know, seating what, 550, 600, I don't know, um, than it would be, say, in the Olivier or the Littleton, you know, because the building allowed you to do that, didn't it? Yes, but like, it wasn't done. Legit actors didn't do that. Until she came along. No. Until she came along. No. Unless you were, you, you were in variety or not. You, there was the fourth wall and you yes. pretended nobody was there. Yes. And so it wasn't easy for my generation, for her older members of the company that, that had done village halls or the miners' community centres in Wales. Yes, they were used to it. We weren't. And so, yes, we did have to work like stink at it, mm -hmm. um, to, to dare. But it's a friendly space, isn't it? Oh, yes. Which allows... Well, any space, well, you know, once you break it down. <laughs> Where you look at it? Well, I'm going, you know, look at it, look. BP filling station, I mean... What <laughs> well, I'm sure the Nash will be pleased to have <laughs> Yes, next question. Uh, uh, can I go, the gentleman in the second row and then the gentleman in the sixth row? Gentleman from here. Do you recognise the spirit of Joan Littlewood in any of today's directors? Ah, do you recognise the spirit of Joan Littlewood in any of today's directors? I recognise it when I, uh, I go into the theatre and you have an empty stage and then there's, they play some music and there's, a shaft of light, and somebody comes on with a stool and sits and starts the piece. I think, oh, yes, well, we did that 60 years ago. Yes, in that way, I do. And, and that also becomes out of a, a John Berry and, and, and the design of the workshop. Remember, um, the design of the workshop was European theatre. The workshop was European theatre. Um, and no one was doing that. At, at that time, well, f from the 40s, from the end of the Second World War, nobody was, we were still into box sets and lots of footlights and people painting their faces. Um, the workshops, and, and that's why it took a long time for her to be accepted, because nobody really knew what they were doing, because they didn't know any. You know, Daubney did the, the wonderful world seasons at the Aldwych, and everybody wet their knickers by all this stuff, and Brett came over. And you thought, yes, but the workshop had been doing that for 20, 30 years, and they were ignored by England and the Arts Council and the yes. powers that be. So yes, there is an influence. <laughs> uh, there was a gentleman, yes, behind, yes. Did you find any limitations with, um, regarding a taste of honey, any limitations or advantages in the translation from theatre to film? Ah, did you find any limitations or advantages in translating Taste of Honey from theatre to film? Um, yes, of course it did change, didn't it, from one room to the moors of Derbyshire with a flock of sheep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I played, I, we played Honey at, at Stratford, I think, for uh, initial four weeks. Um, then it was redone before it came into town. So I played that boy for almost a year. And in the way Joan worked, I knew that boy so well, you could have stuck me on a wire on a balloon and I would have known what to do with him. So no, although it was all different, no, I, I never had any di difficulty in translating. I, I'd had a lovely moment when I had to go into a, a maternity clinic 
and, and, and get the doll that the girl has. And I remember it was a real maternity <laughs> clinic, and there were these Manchester girls. And I came through the door. They set up a camera. They didn't tell anybody what was going to happen. And, and the girls were waiting to see the nurse. And they didn't tell anybody. Set up the camera, and I just came through the door. And they, little me with my little bag over my shoulder, and it was very cold up there. And I came through this door, and 10 young pregnant girls, just their eyes just went to the door <laughs> and looked at me. I didn't have to do anything. I just crawled in. Um, but, but yes, no I, no, I had no difficulty doing all that. What about re-relating to, to different actresses? I mean, in the shape of Dora Brown and Rita Tushingham, was that a major shift for you? Yes. Yes, because they were totally different. Um, but again, because I knew that boy so well, yes. I, I, I could adapt. That was my, my, my greatest task, was adapting to their different performances, of course. as any actor would have to do. Of course, yeah. Good. Um, more questions? Yes. So, uh, in the middle row, yes, gentleman there. What would you like to tell us about Sheila Delaney herself? Oh, what would you tell us about Sheila Delaney? Oh, lovely Sheila. Oh, she was lovely. Um, uh, oh, dear Sheila. Um, she was so beautiful. She was magnetic. And also, of course, she had that wonderful voice. It was such... When Sheila was talking, and nobody very rarely mentions Joan Littlewood's voice, it was so beautiful. Um, even when she was telling you off and tearing a strip off you, it was still very, very beautiful. And to hear the two of them was just magic. Yes, she was... Yes, I, I was always our Murray. Always our Murray. Um, I loved it. I, I remember, you set me off now, on, on the first night, um, she, Sheila was in the theatre, and she'd been there quite a few times, and she'd met my parents uh, a few times, and on that first night, she came in, and there was a, a seat vacant next to my mother, and she said, oh, Mays, can I come and sit next to you? And my mother said, yes, of course you can, darling. And she said... Are you feeling nervous, Sheila? And she said, oh, Maze, not as nervous as your Murray. <laughs> 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 Wonderful. Uh, yes, very time for a, a, one more question, if we're very quick. Uh, yes, lady, we haven't had a question for a lady yet on the aisle. Murray, um, um, you've had a very distinguished theatre and <coughs> film career. Um, as a, uh, an actor, a distinguished actor, what advice would you give to younger actors and how do you feel that your uh, theatre discipline has fed into your film career? Right. What advice would Murray give to younger actors and how has, the, how has your theatre career fed into your film career? Two big questions. Yes, enormous. I wouldn't dare give any advice to a young actor, except if you want to do it, then you've got to hang in there. And you have to suffer, because for anyone, uh, it's, it's those... Joan always used to say, ah, you're, so you're not in the next production, that's good, because now, now you can study. Now you can go... She always used to say, I, I want you to go to every art gallery in London. I want you to look at those pictures. I want you to read the plays. I want you to go to this. It's a wonderful training period. Um, 
And when she first said it to me, I thought, oh. <laughs> um, but it was, it was true. And you just mustn't give in. And of my discipline, and why I, I think initially I could stomach Joan's tirades and that, is because, although on an amateur basis, I'd had a classical dance training. And once you've done that, discipline is second nature. There we have it. Thank you very much. Before we go, <clears throat> I mean, I first firstly want to thank Murray, but just one second. Before we go, there's someone waiting, I know, in the wings, who's grown to love the part of Geoffrey, which we've been talking about tonight, as much as you have. And that person, as you may have guessed, is the person who's currently playing it in the National Theatre production. So would Harry, who I hope is there, like to come on? Here he is, Harry Heppel. Thank you. Oh, how lovely to be.